Good stuff, yeah. Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here at First Christian. Uh, if you're a guest with us, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. It's my privilege to be one of the pastors here, and I'm glad that we get to spend some time together. And I'm glad you got to see that video um, because it really describes who we are as a congregation. We believe that we are a congregation on mission for God, and uh, that involves not only the stuff we do in our four walls, but obviously uh, a lot of the stuff we do around the world, and uh, both in our community, in places like Cuba and Kenya, and I'm uh, very glad to represent that for you today and to let you learn a little bit about it just through that video. And uh, if you'd like to learn how to become part of that mission with us, may I suggest you, you got a card on the way into worship today, and maybe you can fill this out and take it by one of the welcome desks, and you can learn about how we can include you in our mission as a congregation, and uh, that'd be great. So all of you, welcome to everybody in the East Auditorium, welcome to you, and to those of you uh, worshiping online, we're very glad you're with us. You know, there's a habit and a practice of... Um, of Christians on Easter Sunday, and that is somebody says, he is risen, and the other person responds, he is risen indeed. Now, I need to let you know, here in the West, I've already been in the East, and they're probably gonna outdo you on this. So I've, I've given the, the East Auditorium this charge, that when we, as we do this, we're supposed to hear them from there. But here in the West, see if you can outdo that, all right? So let's try it, here we go, he is risen. Uh, sort of paltry. Okay, one more time. One more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed, by all means. And so we're going to look at Scripture today. If you'll take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 24, maybe you can grab it on your smartphone or in your Bible. And we're going to be chatting about this business of being on mission, but particularly about how Jesus came as God's mission. He was, he was God on mission for this world and specifically for you. And so I invite you to grab Luke chapter 24, if you will, please. While you're looking for that, uh, something that I learned just recently that I guess has been going on around the world for the last six or seven years that was new, a new story to me that I quite, find quite fascinating in that uh, th th there's, there are these concerts taking place in concert halls all around the world, and the concerts feature violins that are... Um, Shall we say the leftovers, if you will? I, I, mean, I don't know the right language. They, they are violins that were left behind by victims of the Holocaust. So uh, the Jewish people who died, some of them, when they were carted off to concentration camps, took their violins with them. And then, of course, once they died, the violins were left behind. And these violins have been restored, and they are traveling the world known as violins of hope. The fellow who kind of organized this is an Israeli by the name of Amnon Weinstein. And over the past years, he's been collecting these violins and, and they are being restored and then they'll go to concert hall and the, the resident orchestra will use those violins instead of their own. And there's some, thing, some patterns that are beginning to emerge as these violins continue to come in that a lot of them, I guess it was the habit in the 1930s for the people of Jewish faith to inscribe things inside their violins like, got married on such and such a date, or um, maybe I had a child on such and such a date. One of the violins uh, has an ominous warning. It actually says, 1933, Hitler has come to power. A lot of the violins are in very bad shape because if you can imagine where they've been and who was holding them. Um, like for example, there were one, one of the violins was from a train uh, full of a cattle car 
people inside the cattle car, being transported from eastern France all the way to Auschwitz in Poland, and along the way, I think must have, the people inside must have realized how difficult things were going to be. And in desperation, this violin was simply thrown from the train. And it got battered and bruised and um, obviously broken. And Weinstein gets it and he fixes it. And it went on tour in 2013 when they were going around the world. I, I like the idea of um, these violins that could uh, legitimately be used to represent hatred and racism and violence and horror. I like the idea that they don't necessarily cover over all of that, but as they are now being used to make music, you get the sense, okay, the legacy of the lives of the people who died, their music is being made known again. And if you think about it, that really is what Easter is all about, that something horrible and hateful, the death of a man, becomes redeemed through the resurrection. Our lives get redeemed through the resurrection. And uh, that really is the story of Easter. And I, it's been my privilege to preach about Easter for a lot of years. As a matter of fact, I did a little, little counting up. I, I've preached in Easter weekend for 34 different times. And over that time, if I, I look through my records, I can see some things, some, some common themes that appear in 34 years. Like I've preached about the stone being rolled away and what that must have been like. I've preached about the women arriving at the tomb. Maybe you know that story. They arrive and they are unaware that Jesus has risen from the dead. We've looked at that. I've preached about the foot race that took place between two of the disciples, Peter and John. They race to the tomb when they hear that Jesus is risen from the dead, perhaps. And John writes about it and he says, one of us ran faster than the other. And he just points out that Peter was the one coming behind. He doesn't say, I was the one, but he, he's kind of like just a little bit of bravado years later. But I've done all that, but looking at, as I think about what is my favorite story of Easter is what happens in Luke 24. Because I find some commonality with the people of Luke 24. Luke 24, I'll give you the background to what we're reading. It's in, on the day that the resurrection has taken place. And you've got two of Jesus' disciples and they've been through Friday. They've walked with him for years. They've, they get to Friday. Jesus dies. They manage to push their way through Saturday in grief. They get to Sunday, and now there's this business that Jesus has risen from the dead, though they really can't quite believe it. And frankly, they're saying, we're out of here. We gave our lives to this. It wasn't worth it. We're leaving Jerusalem. So let's see if we can pick up the story. Verse 13, grab your smartphone, Luke 24, or the Bible in front of you. In these sort of terms, there's some people that could give you a Bible if you need one there. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That same day. So this is now Easter Sunday, if you will. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Seven miles. What's that? Two to three hours walk at a leisurely pace, all right? They're talking with each other about everything that happened. And as they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, so Jesus is risen from the dead. He shows up walking with these guys, and for whatever reason, maybe grief, I, we don't know why, they don't see Jesus. They don't recognize him. And he kind of feigns some ignorance, some naivete, if you will. He says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And I get these guys. These guys have invested their lives into a mission and, and this huge event has taken place in Jerusalem. And, and they're kind of 
pattered up to here with all these people and these, and now this guy showed up and he's like, dude, where have you been? You, 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 you don't know what happened in Jerusalem, you know, for crying out loud. Now, Luke's a little more gentle as he tells the story, but that's what's going on here. Read with me. They stood still. And that sort of look. What do you, what do you mean what he, what's, what, what's been going on? What are we talking about? Their faces downcast. They're kind of, ooh. And he goes, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there these days? Have you been living under a rock? And Jesus goes, what are you chatting about? What things? With which they, Cleopas, he, he launches into a diatribe about what's happened. About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped, we poured our life into this. We had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And if that wasn't bad enough, now three days later, after all this took place, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. But they didn't find his body. His body's been stolen, and they came up with some crazy story. They came and told us, as if we're going to believe this, they came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Yeah, right. Right. Then some of our companions, Peter and John, in the foot race, they went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. I, I like these guys. These are my kind of guys. But you know why? Because I can see these two guys that got one thing in mind. We're going to work with Jesus for a number of years, and we're going to see Israel get redeemed. We're going to see the Roman occupying army. They're going to be out of here. They're, they're gonna, they're gonna, Jesus is going to do something politically that's going to get rid of them, and we're going to be in charge again. And then... Jesus says, so what have you been talking about? And none of it has come true. And they stop dead in their tracks. Life's been going one way, and Jesus gets killed, and ah, uh, it's like you and me. We got our plans, we got our actions, we've been working on something for a long time, and we get there, ah, uh, what's with this? We put our heads down, and verse 21, really, I think... If you could say it, this is the story of the gospel in a nutshell. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was going to read. This was our plan. And you know what I figured out, friends, after walking with Christ for a lot of years? I got my plans, but sometimes they don't line up with God's. And God's plan is always better. If I could, I'd like to explain it this way. I know some of you kids, when you came in today, you got a, a, a packet of stuff, right? Can you pick up your, show me your packet of stuff, all right? Because I've, I've had mine too. Now, we, had to, we wanted you to work on some art projects, right? Have you got some papers like this? Can you pull these papers out, kids? All right. You got those papers, right? Okay, I'm going to put mine right there. Have you been working those? I hope so. The goal was to keep you entertained while I'm preaching. All right, I've, you got, you got the, 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 the thing for your wrist, right? You can wear that at home later on this week. Um, this is the art project that you were supposed to be using so that you wouldn't get bored during the sermon. I worked on mine on Friday when Brian was preaching. <laughs> you never know. You never know. 
so you can work on that, okay? And then you've got a sticker in here too, right? I think I have a sticker here. Got a sticker in there? I got one. Find your sticker. You can hold your sticker up, kids. All right? All right, so I think we should all wear our sticker. Do you want to wear your sticker like this? That'd be all right. If I just preach the rest of this way, that'd be okay. Now, how about I put it over here? Stick it right there. Hopefully, it'll stay on. You know what happened in the last service? It fell off and got stuck under my shoe, and everywhere I walked, I could see it. It was very disturbing to me, but nonetheless. <laughs> the reason I wanted you to know about that we've got the kids doing, what kids, why you're doing an art project, is because on Friday night, you, while your parents didn't know it, we had them do an art project as well. After Brian preached, we asked everybody to fill out some cards that told of the places where they wanted to see hope come alive in their lives or where it had. And then we took all those cards and we put them on big sheets of plywood painted green with big letters, H-O-P-E on them, and we put those cards all around the white letters. And as you leave the East Auditorium, friends, you'll see it in the uh, atrium. Those of you here in the West, as you go out the back, you'll see it on the wall back there, these big, big wooden signs that say hope, where all the people who said, this is what I'm hoping for, this is what I'm believing for, they're all there together. And I asked the staff to just give me a few of those cards, to keep a few cards out. And I kept four out, and they're all on this card that I've... Just here, what this art project that the adults did unknowingly, hear what it says, what people have said. What are you praying for? What are you hoping for? Where are the moments where you get stuck, just dead still in your tracks? Jesus is uh, freedom from my anxieties. Some of us know what it's like to be people who live with anxiety. This one right here, I think, might be from a child because it's scribbled out and it's got kids writing and says, Jesus is with me during my grandpa's health problems and my nanny. Isn't that a, there's a story there, right? There's a story of a kid being concerned about grandma or grandpa. Here's one that maybe is a little bit more touchy, a little bit more difficult. Jesus is and was my salvation through my divorce. Huh. I understand from what people have told me that a divorce is when you get stuck still. You just walk in one way and you never... It, I mean, do you go to the altar expecting to face a divorce? No. And the wind gets sucked out of your sails? Or, Jesus has helped me through the passing of my wife. It's a big void. These are stories, aren't they? The stories of where people are saying, man, I'm willing to help make the project and do the art project of hope. But beyond that, these are places where I've got to say, hey, I was going this way with my career. I was going this way with my life. I was going this way with my marriage. I was going this way with my health. And something happened. It's, and I, I would like to write a better story. I, I, you know, all of us have moments in our lives where the story is really cool and really wonderful, but we must be honest that sometimes we're like these guys on the road to Emmaus, where the story at that moment is really, really hard and really difficult, and we are stuck in our tracks. Some of the times, though, stuck in our track, the stories are chapter upon chapter. Sometimes they're even tomes, aren't they? Book after book. 
And in response to that, we want to say, hey, could I be like the guys on the road to Emmaus who meet Jesus? I would like to be a person who reflects grace and generosity and kindness. I'd like, if my life is an instrument, I'd like the music to be really sweet. As a matter of fact, would you look at this scripture with me, please? Romans chapter six puts it this way when it comes. It says, don't offer any part of yourself as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves in, as an instrument of righteousness. It sounds like the, uh, the violins, doesn't it, from, from, the, um, from the Holocaust? Don't offer yourself as an instrument of wickedness, but can you find a way to offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness? Can, can I put the ugly aside so there would be some better music for me and through me? The Bible addresses that very clearly, and in the weekends coming from now, just a heads up, we're going to look at ways in which we can say, I'm going to leave the ugliness aside, and I'm going to step into making some better music. And, and the language that the Bible uses in this regard is, um, we're going to see it in the next three weekends. It's the, the, the language of what to step aside from is pretty rough. It says step away from things like impurity or debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, factions and dissensions and fits of rage, selfish ambition, the ugliness of life. Step away from that and instead, it says to step into something that the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit for the next three weeks. Things like love, joy, and peace. How do we be people of patience and kindness and goodness? How do we be people who are faithful and are gentle and have self-control? I'd like to give you a few clues to that even today before we get to next week. And that is, if you say, I would like a more hopeful approach to life in the midst of the stories that, where I get stuck, well, I'll tell you what the Bible has to say about that, friends, in light of the resurrection. To start with, in order, if I'll give you a quick list, if I may, you have to be willing to say, I'm not making the mark. There are some places of ugliness within me. There are places where the music is not good at all. You, you can think of it this way. If God wants me to live this way, I'm right here. I'm just not, there's a gap between where I live and where God would have me live, and I know it. And I have to acknowledge that. There's a theological word for that gap. You know what the theological word is? It's called sin. And it's not just, oh, I sin when I lie. Yeah, but that's, it's not that, it's not just that. It's just the same case that just who we are as people, we don't measure up at times, do we? And the good news, though, is in acknowledging that gap, in acknowledging our shortcomings, scriptures tell us that's why Jesus came as God on mission, to fill in the gap, to forgive us of our sins. And Scriptures lay it out this way, that he died on the cross. And when he died, literally the penalty that was due us by virtue of being people of sin, where we would be forever shut away from God, not have a relationship with God, that that eternal death would be destroyed and that Jesus Christ, by dying, our sins are forgiven. And so we acknowledge our shortcomings and then have to make a choice to say, I'm willing to accept that that's what Jesus did on my behalf. And if you will, I'm going to, if there's a line right here, I'm going to step across the line and acknowledge the shortcoming. I'm going to make this choice that Jesus now is responsible for that gap. You know what happens? You know what you get to call yourself if you cross over the line? Christian. Seriously. 
That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who says, I've got this gap and I'm stepping across the line and I'm planning for the better. I'm hoping for the better because Jesus Christ is with me and I no longer have to figure this out by myself. I can take heart. So I invite you to come back next weekend and we'll look at those some more. But before we get to that, it would be appropriate for me in the short time we have today to kind of bring this full circle to help you think about how this business of making better music, you know, acknowledge shortcomings, make a choice and plan for the better and rely on Christ. I, I think I should close it out with this. Um, to take you back to the, the violins of hope. Uh, remember the fellow Amnon Weinstein? He uh, repaired all these violins and they've gone on tour. There was one really badly damaged, it was actually a vandalized violin that many people thought wouldn't make it on tour. It was one where um, the maker had actually inscribed the swastika in it. See, um, these violins were usually made by Germans and they were, knew they were selling to the, not, to the uh, Jewish people. And inside a violin, you've got a top piece and a bottom piece, but the bottom piece and the top piece are actually two pieces of wood just millimeters apart. And in between, that was mil in between those two pieces of wood on the bottom, the maker had actually put a swastika in some sort of ironic, cruel joke of horror and racism, knowing the violin is gonna be played by a Jewish person, but it's gonna be playing that over a swastika giving praise to Hitler. Oh, isn't that awful? And so all the people who were gathered around Weinstein said, that violin needs to be burned, it needs to be crushed, it should be pulverized. And he said, no, I'm gonna grind out that swastika. And in its place, I'm gonna put in the back of the violin for everyone to see the Star of David. And in 2013, when they went on tour, that violin was featured. I want you to listen to the music of when the violins were in Cleveland. The violins you see are all the violins from this project. And listen to the mournful music of the gentleman playing the solo. music from the 30s but listen what's coming and look at his eyes the mournful hateful stuff becomes joyous and glad What are you listening to? You are listening to the ugliness of racism and hatred, the ugliness and the horrors of the Holocaust being changed and transformed. It's not that they weren't there. I don't want to mislead you. But instead, the lives of the people who died are being celebrated in the legacy of their music. My prayer for you, friends, in the moments where you come to the place where you're stuck dead, dead in your tracks, and the wind has been sucked out of your life, I pray that all the stuff that's happened that's brought you there, that it would be a moment where you experience the reality of the risen Christ, that be, it would be a moment where you say, Jesus Christ is right beside me, and I didn't even realize it like those guys. And that the days ahead 
will be days in which you move from having your face downcast to instead looking up for a better life, for a better spirituality, a better music within you, and a better music coming from you. Let's pray together. Father God, in these moments where uh, all of us are here together, people in different auditoriums, some watching online, Lord, I'm aware that for a lot of people, they understand what it means to have stepped over that line and become Christian. Does it mean we've got our act together necessarily? No, that's the point, God. We don't. We rely on you through Jesus Christ making up the gap between how we live and how we should live. We're going to work at things like love and peace and joy and kindness and gentleness in the days ahead, but we're so grateful and thankful for the for the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who maybe haven't yet experienced that, I pray that you would gracefully call them into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, through acknowledging shortcomings, through acknowledging that they're not making the mark. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit bring about a change of heart, a change of plans, a better future, we pray this in Christ's name.